This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Those are the words of Jesus recorded in Matthew seven fifteen through 19. Remember that when we get to our first quick hitter of the day. But guys, I just want to thank you so much for coming to the show today. And another quick thank you to our donors. We're so happy for you guys. If you're not aware, we are basically almost 100% a donor-based ministry here. So we do get some money for advertisements, but it's guys like you that are hopping in on a monthly basis that are keeping us afloat. And especially when I've been recovering from my vocal cord surgeries, we've needed you guys. We've loved you guys. We appreciate that very much. And remember, we've got Undaunted Life cigars now. So these go to support the Tim Tebow Foundation. A little bit more on them here in a little bit so go to undaunted.life backslash cigars that will be in the show notes and as always we are an origin brand and jocko fuel brand so we support both of them origin it's hunting season you need hunting pants they got brand new hunting pants that are out now they've got a lot of stuff on the jujitsu side geese rash guards on the jocko fuel side they've got milk that's their uh their protein shakes they've got the energy drinks they've got a bunch of stuff on that side no matter what you buy from origin or jocko fuel at checkout use the code undaunted Okay, undaunted to get 10% off. Now, real quick before I get into an announcement, this is just a reminder to be humble. Guys, and I know this is going to be a shock to some of you. I kind of struggle with humility. A lot of times I kind of need to get checked. That's one of the reasons why I like jujitsu so much. But uh, about a week and a half ago, I tell my wife, babe, I don't make mistakes when it comes to my show. Like I'll misspeak and do, you know, make mistakes like while recording, but in terms of taking the show, getting it uploaded to the internets so you guys can listen to it, I don't make mistakes. Hey babe, we're almost 500 episodes in. I don't make mistakes. And literally like two days later, I realized I released the wrong forging table episode, right? I released, uh, what was it? Proverbs one as opposed to Matthew one, right? So not really the best moment for me. So that was kind of like a little bit of humble pie. And then, you know, Hey, but anyone can make a mistake. You know, one mistake every 500 episodes isn't so bad, right? Well, don't you know about a few days later when I recorded episode 409, I put something in, in the middle there and I forgot to move my outro music. And so the, the quick hitter or the quick resilience boost rather at the very end had outro music over the top of it. So I fixed it and re-uploaded the track, but not until, you know, before like a bunch of you guys reached out and said, hey, Kyle, you're an idiot. Like, well, what'd you do that for? So that's just a reminder to you guys. Let's just make sure that we stay humble, okay? Don't go testing the universe or testing God or testing your wife or any of that. Just just be humble. And if you make a mistake, just roll with it. My wife even said, she's like, I think that was for you because you have very little grace for people that make mistakes. I think this is all happening specifically for you. She's probably right. But I did want to make a big announcement. So this is similar to something we did earlier this year, but our friends at Stevenson Knives have graciously donated another custom knife that will go to one special supporter of Undaunted Life. So let me grab it. Look at this thing. If you're not watching this on YouTube or on uh, Rumble right now, you are absolutely missing out. That is a custom knife 
Damascus. I'm hoping that the 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 camera is picking up what that looks like. The pictures will be on our uh, social media, and I'm sending out an email to everybody here in a second. So I'll talk more about the knife here in a little bit. But Blaine and Sean Stevenson, a father-son team, they wanted to help raise money for Undaunted Life, and so they wanted to donate a knife for us to raffle off to one lucky donor. We did that earlier this year, and we raised close to $5,000 because this wasn't just a fundraiser for Undaunted Life, but the three of us decided that we wanted to split the money between 50% to Undaunted Life and 50% to charity. And so this time around with this unbelievable Damascus knife, we are going to be giving 50% to the rescue team of the Tim Tebow Foundation. So if you've missed out on the cigar announcements and some of the discussions there, the rescue team is what the Tim Tebow Foundation does for anti-human trafficking and child exploitation. So some key things that this team does. Number one is prevention. So they are dedicated to ending the cycle before it begins, and they're doing that by educating, training, and providing new policies for different jurisdictions. The second part is rescue. So they actively respond to crisis and they partner with those that are executing actual physical rescue missions of children and others that are stuck in in sex trafficking. So prevention, rescue, and the last is survivor care. Okay. So they are very, very committed to the supporting the long-term recovery of these people that are recovered because not only do they have physical problems after they are rescued, they also have mental, emotional, social, spiritual healing that needs to take place. And so they are all about taking care of these people for that entire trauma cycle. So they currently have operations in 30 countries, 30 plus countries actually. Actually, they have five safe homes around the world. Uh, they're partnering in 13 more. They have 15 additional ones that are in the progress of being taken care of so that these people can be squared away. And so here's my big, hairy, audacious goal with this knife raffle. And I'm going to describe the knife here in a second. We want to raise $10,000. So I want to double what you guys were able to do last time with this one so that we can support operations here at Undaunted Life and especially so that we can support what the rescue team of the Tim Tebow Foundation is doing. So to all you guys out there that are listening to this, that have all this expendable income and whatever, all you big daddy deep pockets guys, we need y'all to hop in on this one. So let's describe this knife real quick. So this is Stevenson Knives. This is the Texas Hunter number two, okay? So the blade itself is a twister Twisted Pattern 1084 and 15 in 20 Damascus over pure nickel with a 52100 carbon steel core. So if you're not like a metal or knife guy, like that's not going to, you know, make a lot of sense to you. But hey, for those of you guys that are, it's going to make a big difference. Now the handle is gorgeous. Look at that thing. So this is amber dyed camel bone and it's got a black G10 liner and mosaic pins. So absolutely gorgeous. The tang is tapered. The sheath right here, this is handmade top grade Herman Oak leather. This knife guys normally retails at $450, but one of you guys is going to get it probably for significantly less than that. So this is the skinny on the raffle and then we'll start digging in a little bit more today any person that donates $25 through our donation website so you've heard me talk about it all the time on daunted.life backslash donate right anyone that donates $25 through that website between now and October 23rd okay so just I think it's a little over a month October 23rd and puts the word knife in the comments section. That's very important because if you do a donation and it doesn't say knife in the comments section, I won't know that's for this raffle, okay? They will automatically have their name entered into the randomized drawing for the knife. They will get one entry, okay? Now, for every $25 that you donate, that equals one spot in the raffle, okay? So if you donate 100 bucks, your name goes in the randomizer four times. 
If you donate a thousand bucks, which we had a guy do last time, your name would go into the randomizer 40 times, so on and so forth. Okay. Also, if you are a current monthly donor of Undaunted Life, I got you. I got your back regardless of how long or how much you've been donating. You will put, we are going to put your name into the randomizer twice. Just as a thank you for doing what you are just currently doing, but current donors can also make additional donations to have their name in the raffle more. We had a bunch of you guys do that last time. We will take a video of us doing the randomizer, post that on our Instagram, and announce the winner on our show on October the 26th. So guys, in the show notes to support us, to support the rescue team, that link will be in the show notes. Again, make sure you put knife in the subject bar where you can like leave a comment right on our donation page there on our website. So. We're going to be hitting a lot of quick hitters today because we're going to have a little bit of a shorter episode, maybe. Who, who knows? We'll see how it goes. But here are the quick hitters for today. Al Moeller calling out Andy Stanley by name. A teenage driver intentionally hitting and killing a retired police chief while he was riding his bicycle. Donald Trump, absolute his ridiculous answer to a question about a federal abortion ban. The police-involved shooting death of Takaya Young, a successful womb transplant in the UK, and that will almost assuredly be the starting point of the men can now get pregnant revolution. Also, a British nurse being found guilty of murdering seven babies in her care, seven newborns, the deadly floods in Libya, and the injury that ended the season of the modern day Babe Ruth, Shohei Otani. But before we get there, guys, if you're anything like me, you at least try to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I mean, if you're like me, you will watch YouTube videos and you will try to kind of fix things and solve things in your own way. And that doesn't always, you know, lead to really, really good outcomes for you because doing that could lead to you wasting a lot of time, wasting a lot of money, you know, time and money that you otherwise could have spent on your family, on your business, on yourself, who knows. But that is especially true when it comes to information technology, IT, and data security, right? So that's why I want to introduce you guys to my friends at LMS Tech. That is a company here in the city that I represent, the city that I live in. LMS Tech is an IT security company that can help your business with all kinds of IT headaches. So even as I'm about to read this list, I basically don't know how to do anything with this stuff. That's why they help me with my business. So network install, configuration, security, and monitoring, server setup and maintenance, cloud data storage, email management and security, antivirus management, and then kind of industry-specific compliance like HIPAA or financial services, insurance, credit cards, that kind of thing. And they even do custom software implementation like CRMs and HR tools. So the thing is, guys, is you need to focus on making your business successful. So let LMS Tech secure your IT. So I trust LMS Tech with the security for our business here at Undaunted Life. So I think that you guys should give them a shot. So to get your free IT and data security assessment, visit this website. It's very, very easy. GetSecurity.tech. Okay, that's getsecurity.tech. Do not risk your data ending up in the wrong hands. Invite these experts in to protect your business. Again, the site is getsecurity.tech. That will be in the show notes. That's getsecurity.tech to get your free assessment. Now, here's a question that's been posed to probably most of you in the audience over the last week or so. How often do you think about the Roman Empire? Some of you are already laughing at the fact that that question has even been posed here in modernity. And some of you, you know, as I found out with the Oliver Anthony thing a few weeks ago, you have been living under a rock. You basically don't know what's going on anywhere at any time. So let me explain this trend to you. So over the weekend, so literally not even a week ago, it, where, whether you're on TikTok or Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, there were these videos that were popping up of women 
asking the men in their life, you know, their husbands, fiancés, boyfriends, brothers, you know, uncles, dads, that kind of thing. Hey, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? And they would record their reactions. And so these men would be like, well, what are you talking about? The Roman Empire, blah, blah, blah. But most of the time, these men would say, you know, I, I don't know, maybe a few times a week and, you know, or a few times a month or, or, you know, hey, when's the last time you thought about the Roman Empire? I, I don't know, this morning when I was eating breakfast, that was a common answer for a lot of these men. And the women would just, they would just start laughing and giggling because they're like, oh my God, I can't believe anything about the Roman Empire that much. I don't think about it that much. And that, that was it. Right. That, that was basically the trend. Woman holds phone, hits record, asks, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? Man says more often than you would expect. Right. So that's the trend. OK, that's how it's set up. But the videos have just been all over the place. I mean, guys, just to put this into perspective, I don't know where this started. I don't know if this is some sort of psyop from the communist regime in China, but we're talking about millions of different videos that have been posted all over social media. The views for those videos are in the hundreds of millions, if not billions of videos by the time this podcast is released. Okay. So this is a, a major thing. And women all over the globe are just kind of rolling their eyes at the fact that their men think about the Roman empire so much. And now we're starting to see, you know, when anything goes viral, obviously podcasters like me, will talk about it. There are think pieces and different news organizations and things like that. And so there's a lot of people that have opinions about this and it's made you know, this trend has actually made millions and millions of men around the globe think about just exactly how often they do think about the Roman Empire. So I'm going to play along today. So if my wife were to come up to me and ask me, hey, babe, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? My answer would be every single day, multiple times a day. Like that is the legitimate answer. Now that begs another question, which is why, Kyle, do you think about the Roman Empire so much? So I have several reasons I'm going to explain, but then I'm going to break down why I think most men think about the Roman Empire so much. So one reason is it's because it's my number one most favorite time period in history. So to me, it's the most interesting time in history, regardless of kind of where you're dropped into the Roman Empire. So some others that I, I really like and I'm interested in, I'm interested obviously like in ancient Israel, biblical Israel, the American West. Those are some other time periods. But I've consumed more books, more movies, more television shows about the Roman Empire time period than any other. One of my favorite shows of all time is a show called Rome that HBO made. Obviously, if they could just delete all the useless sex scenes, it would make the show significantly better. But it's one of my favorite shows because it's in this time period. And if I could visit any time period, I would visit that one. I wouldn't want to live there, right? People are like, oh, what era would you want to live in? Uh, yesterday. That, that's the era I would want to live in. I don't want to get dental surgery in, you know, the, the ADs. You know what I mean? Like the early ADs or even BCs. Like there's no chance I would want to do that. But I would love to go back to when the Colosseum was at its full glory, when you could walk through the... Uh, the forum, the Roman forum, when you could go to the Palatine Hill, you know, when Circus Maximus was actually running cherry races, that's what I would love to just see. Another reason why I think about the Roman Empire so often is because the city of Rome is my favorite city that I've ever been to. Out of all the cities I've been to in the world, it's my favorite international city to spend time in because I've gone to quite a few international cities and not just the airport, but actually spent time there. So Florence, Venice, I've spent time on the Amalfi Coast, Amsterdam, London, Dublin, Athens, Osaka, Istanbul, Sydney, 
Perth, Auckland, and, and there's more that I'm probably forgetting. These are just cities that I've been very blessed to be able to go to. And my wife and I have made the financial sacrifices, especially early in our marriage, to make sure that we should travel. And even with all those cities and as great as some of those cities are, Rome's my favorite. It's absolutely my favorite. I love walking the streets of Rome. I love that, oh, you're, you're getting some gelato here and then you walk out of the gelato shop and, oh, there's the, the Pantheon. That's pretty awesome. Like the Colosseum, like I've, I've thought about before, like if I were to go and be in a really rough part in my life, I would just go, go to Rome, I would get a cigar and I would walk around the Colosseum at night. That's one of my favorite things that I've ever done. I got a Cuban cigar at a shop across from the Colosseum. It was at probably 10 o'clock at night when it's all lit up and I just walked around the outside of the Colosseum. I absolutely love it. Another reason why I think about the Roman Empire all the time is it's the setting of my favorite movie ever, which is Gladiator. So I don't think I really need to flow for too long on that because for most of you guys, that's probably a top 10 movie for you as well. But also I think about the Roman Empire because the tattoos, a lot of my tattoos are very Roman inspired. So on my left shoulder kind of deltoid area, I have a Roman horse-drawn chariot. A little bit lower on that, you probably can't see it, but I've got a rendering of kind of my wife, but she's dressed up in kind of traditional Roman aristocratic garb. Uh, behind her is kind of a Pantheon style building. Guys, don't worry, I'm not like worshiping multiple gods, it's just a building. And on my right arm, I, I have something that is um, inspired by the song The Finisher by O Sleeper. And so at the end of that song, uh, Satan is about to have his horns cut off by God. And so I took a statue in Florence that is of Hercules fighting a centaur and he's kind of got the centaur back and he's got a club in his hand and he's about to hit him. I had my artist kind of change that to where it's like a winged goat, like a, a behemoth or something like that that's described, uh, you know, kind of in occultic circles or whatever. And then there's a godlike figure standing over him about to cut his horns off. And what is that godlike figure holding? He's holding a Roman gladius, a Roman sword, short sword. Okay. But the main reason why I think about the Roman Empire daily is because I literally think about the crucifixion of Jesus and his subsequent resurrection daily. I think about it all the time. And as a Christian, it's not macabre for you to do so. You should always remind yourself of the sacrifice that God made of his only son so that you would have propitiation for your sins. Absolutely. And who performed the death penalty of Jesus of Nazareth? The Romans who perfected the brutal art of death by crucifixion? The Romans. Which empire did Pontius Pilate represent? The Roman Empire, right? Guys, the entirety of Jesus' life and ministry takes place under the ultimate and far-reaching thumb of Rome, right? We see that come up as we read different gospel accounts. Different, you know, uh, artistic renderings of Jesus' life, whether in print or on a canvas or on a silver screen, they depict Roman soldiers. And they at least depict Pontius Pilate, right? So those are some of the reasons why I think about the Roman Empire. But as I kind of extrapolate this out to the greater manhood community of the world, I guess, I gave it some thought as to why men in general think about the Roman Empire so much. And I came up with five reasons. And the fifth one is the most obvious and the most important. So stick with me. The first reason why I think men think about the Roman Empire so much is as men, we think about prolonged dominance. Because the Roman Empire certainly had its ups and downs. You don't have to be an expert in Roman history to know that. But this was a dominant hegemon of the world for a very, very, very long time. Their footprint covered 
dozens of countries in modernity. Like it was just a very widespread dominant thing. And again, think back to, you know, kind of whenever I was growing up, that was during the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls era. And the reason for me, even though I was like a a little kid, you know, in elementary school and then getting into junior high, it was such a dominant thing that it was just you were enamored by it because the Michael Jordan Bulls are probably the most dominant team in the history of the big sports, right? So you might say, oh, what about the Yankees 27 championships? Yeah, but they won a ton of those like in the 30s and 40s. And yeah, they had some dominant teams, but in modern big five sports. Or the, I guess the big four, so that would be, you know, the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, and the NHL. There's nothing that really compares to Michael Jordan's Bulls in the 90s. Nothing. And we like that as men. We Even if we hate the Bulls, even if we're a fan of a different team, the Pistons or the Celtics or something like that, we got to respect that prolonged dominance. Another reason why I think men think about the Roman Empire often is as men, we think about why powerful dynasties eventually and inevitably fall. So uh, obviously, you don't need to be a history buff to understand that the Roman Empire fell, right? The reason why you can go to Rome and look at its ruins is because the Roman Empire is no more. And then to go back to the MJ example, MJ had to retire eventually. I mean, he came back and you know did his little thing with the Wizards, but he had to retire at some point. If you watch The Last Dance, which is a fantastic documentary, you got to see how uh, he potentially wanted to come back and go for number seven, but the owner of the team, at least according to the, doc- to the documentary, was like, yeah, we don't really want to do that. We can't really extend ourselves out financially that much, but then it had to come to an end. Even if they had gone for seven or eight or nine, or if MJ hadn't really left to go do baseball for a couple of years, maybe they do run off seven, eight, nine in a row, but it comes to an end. And then the next like the, the, the vacuum was there and that was filled by Shaq, Kobe, and Phil with the Lakers, right? But we just were so interested in watching these dynasties eventually fall. Another reason that I think men think about the Roman Empire so much is as men, we think about leaving a legacy. Because Rome has left such a legacy. If you think about it just architecturally, the, the aqueducts, like you need to go watch YouTube videos about the Roman aqueducts and what they were able to do so long ago. It, it will absolutely blow your mind. And the roads that they created that are still there, the walls, the bridges, they're literally bridges where they have printed on the bridge. I have built a bridge that will last forever. And they're lasting longer than bridges that are built in modernity here in the United States. But when you think about certain emperors, you think about Julius Caesar, you think about Octavius, you think about Hadrian, you think about um, Marcus Aurelius. And then obviously with Marcus Aurelius, obviously you need to re- read meditations. It's on our book list on our website. You have the philosophy that comes from a lot of these men. That's, you know, the stoic philosophies kind of comes from this era as well. The political inventions. There are things that are happening right now in Washington, D.C. that we wouldn't have gotten the ideas to do if not for the Roman Empire. Another reason why I think men think about the Roman Empire so much is as men, you guys know this is true. We think about fighting in general a lot, and we also think about fighting to the death a lot. So for some of you that are a little bit more uh, docile, maybe that doesn't make a lot of sense to you. But like for me, I'm a fairly aggressive guy. Obviously, I do jujitsu and I run scenarios in my brain all the time about if I got in a fight to the death, whether I'm armed or not fighting another human being until one of us dies. Right. There's a lot of people that have kind of thought about here even recently 
you know, who's the baddest man on the planet, right? Is it Tyson Fury, the, the baddest boxer on the planet, or is it a guy like John Jones? And Dana White basically said it perfectly. He's like, if you luck, and Joe Rogan said the same, if you put John Jones and Tyson Fury in a room and only one of them gets to leave, every single time that that's done, John Jones leaves that room. Like, there, there's just no two ways about it. So we think about fighting and fighting to the death. Isn't that just gladiatorial combat? You know, part of the bread and circus, we think about fighting. Guys, one thing they used to do back in, back in the day when the Coliseum was in all its glory, they would fill the Coliseum floor with water and they would have naval battles inside of there. They would have ships and people would do these battles. But then obviously, you know, about the hand-to-hand combat whenever they're, you know, men are fighting men and then, you know, men are fighting against animals like bears and, and lions and stuff like that. We think about that a lot because a lot of men at least watch MMA, but perhaps they train MMA, they train Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Muay Thai, kickboxing, other legitimate martial arts. And then, you know, there's, I've said this before for me, when I compete in a Jiu-Jitsu tournament, I kind of get myself mentally into this, I'm going to kill you headspace before competition. It's not healthy. I'm not saying that you should do that. But it's like, I have to turn on a different switch because in the room with your teammates, you can't just rip, rip submissions. You can't hold it a, a second or two longer. You will tap for someone else. A number of times I've let go of stuff because, you know, a tough white belt wasn't going to tap. It's like, look, you know, no one needs to get hurt today. But in a tournament, it's like, no, break it. Hey, if he's not going to tap, freaking break it. Hurt him, right? And where does that come from? It's, it's in, in the DNA of a man because... At some point, you may have to do that to protect your family, to protect yourself. So that's why I think men think about it. But this is the biggest reason, and then we'll, we'll wrap up this whole Roman Empire thing with this comment. The last reason that I thought of in terms of why men are so interested in the Roman Empire and think about it so often is as men, we think about virtus. Virtus. So some of you, that name, or that word rather, probably sounds decently familiar. It's V-I-R-T-U-S. Now, there's a pretty good definition from Wikipedia for this word, but let's talk about it. It's a specific virtue in ancient Rome, and it carries connotations of valor, masculinity, excellence, courage, character, and worth perceived as masculine strengths. So it was thus a frequented, frequently stated virtue of Roman emperors and was personified as a deity named Virtus. So for some of you, Maybe virtues, that's maybe a little bit too philosophical, but you can obviously understand, you know, excellence, courage, worth, those types of things. What about strength and honor? To go back to Gladiator. There's a lot of quotable things from the movie Gladiator, but very early on, before they're about to go into battle, they all say strength and honor. You know, Maximus says strength and honor, and then all of his generals say it back to him, strength and honor. We get that. That's virtues. And as a man... We Again, I want to read this list because it, it makes sense to us as men, and, and it makes sense why a woman wouldn't think about this. Because think about this list in terms of your wife and how often she would think about these things. Valor, masculinity, excellence, courage, character, and worth through the lens of masculine strengths. Those aren't things that women can't feel. Certainly, that would be a stupid thing to say and to defend. But this is a very, very big deal to most men. And I think that is a great thing. But it has to be meeked. Again, what does meekness mean? It doesn't mean weakness. It doesn't mean navel-gazing. It means you are in complete control of all of your God-given strengths and powers, but it is tethered to the Father. So virtus in and of itself is not enough. 
because valor for valor's sake is not enough. Excellence for excellence sake, character for character's sake, these masculine strengths are not enough by themselves. It's great for men to think about, it's great for men to aspire towards, but again, you have to think about it from a worldview perspective. If we are just highly evolved chimps that can talk to one another and wear pants, and you know, we just evolved from lower level chimps that evolved from fish, that evolved from goo, that evolved from stardust, then none of this matters. Again, valor, masculinity, excellence, courage, character, worth, none of that matters because we're all worm food at the end of the day. But if God is real, if God is triune in nature, if God sent his son to earth to die in our place so that our sins could be paid for, so that we could be in his presence someday when we pass away from this world, this matters a lot. (laughs) I mean, it matters a lot, a lot. So how often do you think about the Roman Empire? Guys, you should think about it all the time. All right, I'm ready. Let's get into the quick hitters. First one here, Al Mohler, the great Al Mohler, calling out Andy Stanley by name. So if you have no idea who Al Mohler is and you have no idea why he would be calling Andy Stanley out, go back to episode 499 from last week. And Al Mohler, uh, he's got a great podcast called The Briefing. You should kind of get up to date on that. But again, if you don't know why Andy Stanley's in hot water right now, go back to episode 499 from last Thursday. Check that out. But this is according to himself because Al Mohler wrote a column uh, for World. And so I won't read the whole thing. I'll skip around a little bit. You can read it for yourself. It'll be in the show notes. But let's get into the article that Al Mohler wrote. It's not like we have not seen this coming. Andy Stanley is set to host the Unconditional Conference at a campus of North Point Community Church in coming days. And the website for the conference bills this as a two-day premiere event, especially designed for parents of LGBTQ plus children and ministry leaders. Quote, you will be equipped, refreshed, and inspired as you hear from leading communicators on topics that speak to your heart, soul, and mind, unquote. One statement stands out in the description, quote, no matter what theological stance you hold, we invite you to listen, reflect, and learn as we approach this topic from the quieter middle space, unquote. The promise of quieter middle space might appear attractive, given the volatility of cultural discourse on LGBTQ plus issues and con- and a conference designed to help parents of LGBTQ plus children and ministry leaders work through these issues in clearly biblical terms would be a welcome development. But the advertising for the Unconditional Conference indicates clearly that this event is designed as a platform for normalizing the LGBTQ plus revolution while claiming that the conference represents quieter middle space. In truth, there is no middle space on these issues, and it is no longer plausible to claim that such middle space exists. Amen and amen on that. Then in the article, he talks a little bit about the scheduled speakers. I detailed that last week. We'll skip towards the end here. This conference is not really quiet, nor is it middle space. It is structured structured at what most evangelicals would quickly recognize as a departure from historic, normative, biblical Christianity. Andy Stanley, one of the most influential pastors in the United States, has been moving in this direction for years often by suggestion and assertion, by cl- but clouded by confusion and the deliberate avoidance of clarity. Back in 2018, he called for the church to be unhitched from the Old Testament, arguing that the Old Testament should not be understood as the go-to resource regarding any behavior in the church. There goes, you shall not lie with a man as with a woman. It is an abomination, as we see in Leviticus 18.22. But, in truth, there goes the entire Old Testament. A few years before that, in a 2012 message, Stanley seemed to argue that adultery is a sin, but told of two men in a relationship with no suggestion that the same-sex coupling was forbidden by Scripture. 
When the message became controversial, Stanley did not clarify the situation at all. More recently, in another message, Andy Stanley dismissed biblical texts against homosexual behavior as clobber verses and said, quote, If your theology gets in the way of ministry, like if there's somebody you can't minister to because of your theology, you have the wrong theology, unquote. This is not a misunderstanding. This is a trajectory that points to the Unconditional Conference and two speakers married to other men on the platform. This is a clear and tragic departure from biblical Christianity. I absolutely love this by Albert Moeller. I love that he did it, and I love that he did it boldly. And here's my big takeaway on this one. We need more prominent pastors naming names. Again, it's just my opinion, but where are the other prominent pastors naming names? So we had Lucas Miles on the show a couple months ago in his latest book, Woke Jesus. He named pastors by name, but in a previous book, he named pastors just tangentially. He, he named them kind of in spirit, but he didn't name them by name. Now, you could have drew some conclusions as to who he was talking about, but he didn't do it on purpose. And how most pastors talk about it is they'll say, well, you know, there's some pastor these days that will tell you that a boy can become a girl. That's just not right. Or some pastor these days, you know, they just, they've come out as, uh, you know, gay affirming, and that's just not right. But why not name the names? Like, again, some people are like, oh, that seems icky, that seems rude, that seems judgmental. Yes. But we see from Scripture not that we are not to judge, but that we are to judge the right people inside the church, and to not to judge them so harshly as to kind of throw the scales into our favor as we judge them, and to take the judgment seat of God as we do so. But we are to judge all the same. And so why the reluctance to use names? Again, I'm not a pastor, so as a podcaster, I can say whatever I want, right? And you get to choose whether or not you listen, whether or not you share, and whether or not you support. And that's fine. I'm fine with that setup. But I don't see a biblical reason why pastors shouldn't do that. Again, look at what Paul did to Peter. Peter was acting out in a very, I guess you could say, racist way with the Judaizers, and Paul rebuked him publicly to his face. To which you might say, well, Albert Mueller didn't take this directly to Andy Stanley. Here's the thing. Andy Stanley is a public person. So if he had a personal relationship with him and something came up, he would go to him individually. <clears throat> so here's some good examples. Let's say uh, Joby Martin or John Cooper or Phil Robertson or any of these great Christian men, some pastors, some not, but great Christian men nonetheless, if they didn't said something in public that was absolutely reprehensible, or something on social media or something like that, I would go to them individually. I wouldn't blast them on the show because I have an individual relationship with them. But with someone like Andy Stanley or Stephen Furtick or Hillsong in general or Carl Lentz or something like that, these are public people that have made their pronouncements publicly. And so why should I not be able to denounce those things that they're saying publicly? So this is my encouragement to pastors out there, to people with platforms. If you have pulpits and if you have platforms, use them in a way that Albert Moeller did. We need to call the wolves out that are in our midst. Our next quick hitter here, a teenage driver intentionally hitting and killing a retired police chief while he was riding his bicycle. So this is according to the New York Post. A retired California police chief appeared to be deliberately mowed down and killed while riding his bike in Las Vegas by a laughing teenage driver whose pal can be heard saying, yeah, hit his ass. Video of the incident shows. Andreas Probst, 64, was killed after he was deliberately struck while out for a morning bike ride around 6 a.m. on August the 14th, according to Las Vegas police. The unidentified 17-year-old driver of the Hyundai was arrested by police soon afterward, 
the Las Vegas Review-Journal reported. The teen has since been charged with murder after police discovered a video posted on social media that allegedly showed him deliberately hitting the man. This weekend, the shocking footage went viral online, showing the driver asking his pals ready as the passenger films laughing. <coughs> Excuse me. So I was going to put this, uh, you know, in the notes so you can, guys can watch the video, but I'm assuming most of you have seen the video by now. But this was a stolen car. These two young men were joyriding in it. Right before this incident that I just described, they literally tried to run another car off the road. And the guy in the passenger seat just filming the whole thing. They think it's hilarious. They're trying to run a car off the road. And so they take off running. The guy like hangs his arm out the window. And then they see this man riding his bike on the side of the road, right? Not on the sidewalk, unfortunately, but on the side of the road. And then they literally say, yeah, hit him. Let's hit him. And so they do. And you can see in the video, it's very brutal. Uh, The man flies back onto the windshield and he's dumped onto the road. They turn the camera around and he's on the road and they're laughing. They thought it was hilarious. And the guy died. I mean, the fact that they thought it was funny. Again, I, I thought some things were funny when I was like 16 that weren't funny. But never hurting people. Hurting people like that, mortally wounding somebody. Absolutely not. Now, I personally think that the driver should get the death penalty. I mean, we literally have him doing this crime on camera. There's there's nothing you could say that would be like, oh, this is okay for this reason and this reason. And perhaps the passenger should get the same penalty. He should at least get life in prison because he encouraged his buddy to do it. And it was wanton disregard for the the health and safety of the entire public. Because even before that, they were literally trying to run other cars off the road. So my big takeaway on this one, there's a lot of ways you can take a story like this. But this situation is a downstream consequence of, I guess, the the witch's brew of a loss of societal morality, lack of fathers, and social media clout chasing. So let's talk about societal morality. I feel like gone are the days of, I'm going to try to love my neighbor as myself. Again, you'll see that a lot in small towns and really all over. There's pockets all over the place where you see people give of themselves to take care of others. But on a societal level, we allow a lot of people to suffer. We just let homeless people that are, you know, substance abusers or criminals or mental health problems that are befalling them. We just kind of let them sit out there and suffer, right? We can't really do anything about it. Right, let's just let the government try and fix it. But we've kind of lost that societal morality. And also, I don't know anything about these two young men, but can we assume that they didn't have good fathers in their life? How many of you guys, either for yourself or the people that you know in your life, that had good fathers, fathers that were around, fathers that were, you know, pouring into the lives of their kids, went out and did stuff like this? I mean, sure, that happens. You could have a good family and just have, you know, literally a rotten egg who goes out and does something crazy and murderous. But can we assume that these boys didn't have great fathers? I mean, the statistics are with me in in that assumption because it's like the majority of kids now are growing up in single mother households, especially of the race of these two young guys. Right. They're, They're growing up without a dad around. They're growing up without father figures. And another thing is social media clout. Why were they filming? Again, we all have smartphones, we all have tablets, but don't be that guy, you know, recording with your tablet. That's weird. But we have our smartphones, and so we can't enjoy the concert. We have to film it through our crappy little camera on our phone. Uh, we can't just hang out with our kids. We have to take pictures, and I do the same thing, take pictures and take videos so we can, you know, remember it for later. 
but a lot of people are doing things specifically with social media clicks and likes and shares in mind. And I have to do that because that's part of the business. Because if our social media presence doesn't grow, we can't equip more men around the globe to push back darkness. So I get it. But these aren't people that are running a business. These are just two idiots, two jerks that decided that they were going to steal a car, again, reminder, and then film them trying to hurt people. Because the thing is, is, is I don't want to hear this excuse like, oh, they're just 16. You know, they, they didn't know that they were going to kill the guy when they ran into the back of his bike going 40 or 50 miles an hour on a road. Of course, they knew that was a possibility. And those same people that would argue that would also argue that somebody much younger than that can choose their gender and choose whether or not they should have their genitalia removed, right? But this is just, it's a gross story. I absolutely hate it for this man's family. And I hope both of these, go, both of these guys get the full brunt of the law when it comes to what the outcome is going to be. All right, next quick hitter here. Donald Trump's absolutely ridiculous answer to a question about a federal abortion ban. So this was shared all, the, all over the place on Twitter over the weekend. This was a recent interview that Trump did with Meet the Press. And um, I can't remember the gal's name that did the interview. I thought she did a pretty fantastic job of trying to be fair. I think it was like her first interview on Meet the Press. And so, you know, your first interview as a former president, that's interesting. So let's go to the clip here. Mr. President, I want to give voters who are going to be weighing in on this election yeah. a very clear sense of where I think they'll, stand I on think this. they're all going to like me. I think both sides are going to like me. Let, let me what, but what's let Mr. going President, to have to Mr. happen President, is you're going to have to... Kristen, you're asking me a question. What's going to happen is you're going to come up with a number of weeks or months. You're going to come up with a number that's going to make people happy. Because 92% of the Democrats don't want to see abortion after a certain period of time. If a federal ban landed on your desk, if you were reelected, would you sign it at 15? Are you talking about a complete ban? A ban at 15 weeks. Well, people, people are starting to think of 15 weeks. That seems to be a number that people are talking about right now. Would you sign that? Uh, uh, I, would, I would sit down with both sides and I'd negotiate something and we'll end up with peace on that issue for the first time in 52 years. Uh, I'm not going to say I would or I wouldn't. I mean, DeSantis is willing to sign a five-week and six-week ban. Would you support that? You think I, that I goes think what he far? did is a terrible thing and a terrible mistake. I mean, there's a lot of things there that you can point to. Obviously, Trump has his bombastic style. He's going to interrupt. He's going to do different things. But the first hint that this was going in a bad direction was when she brings up a 15-week abortion ban. And he's like, oh, you know, he kind of vacillates. He's like, yeah, you know, 15 weeks. And, you know, I would do this thing where I'm going to pretend to be moderate and pretend like I can come up with a deal that both sides of this issue would like. Again, to go back what with Albert Mueller was saying about the Andy Stanley stuff, what exactly is the middle position on abortion? Like, it's, oh, it's okay to kind of kill kids. I mean, what exactly is that position? But the worst quote is obviously at the end. So you have Trump saying, DeSanctus is willing to sign a five-week and six-week ban, week ban, which the DeSanctus thing, can we just talk about how that's maybe the worst of all the, the nicknames that he's come up with? But yeah, he's willing to th sign a five- or six-week ban. And she, to her credit, said, would you support that? Do you think that goes too far? And then Trump said this, which could be brought into two different statements. He says this, I think what he did is a terrible thing and a terrible mistake. Okay? A terrible thing and a terrible mistake. That's important because Trumpsters are trying to spin this now to say, no, 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 no. He was saying it wasn't advantageous uh, to the electorate because obviously you have to be moderate if you, if you want to get uh, wins in the general election and things like that. But no, no, no. I'm going to take him at his word. You could say it was a terrible mistake 
and you can make the political argument, but he said it's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing that Ron DeSantis signed a six-week abortion ban in the state of Florida. Think about that statement. That, that is egregious. It's a horrible thing for him to say. So I'm going to get right to my big takeaway on this one. <clears throat> I'll remind you again, I've never, not even for a second, believed that Donald Trump was pro-life in his heart. But he legislated in a more pro-life way than any president in United States history, as we can see with the overturning of Roe v. Wade and getting the three justices on the Supreme Court. But it looks like now he's trying to moderate on many hot-button issues, which is one of the many things that I think should disqualify him from consideration this time around. So in that same interview, or not that same interview, rather, it was with Megyn Kelly, she was asked about, hey, can, can a man become a woman? And he just kind of goes, blah, 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 blah. Like, his answer was just kind of mealy mouth nonsense. But again, you could easily say, hey, it doesn't matter what Trump says, and, you know, it matters what he does if he gets into office. But if you're a pro-life, Christian, conservative, Republican, thinking about who you're going to vote for, it's not binary right now. Because as I've told you before, and as I've gone on record, if he is the candidate against Joe Biden or whoever is alive at that moment to represent the Democrats, I will vote for Donald Trump because I don't care what he thinks and says. I care how he legislates and governs. And those are apparently two different things entirely. But this is very concerning that at this point in the primary, he's so far ahead of the next person in the race, Ron DeSantis, and then everyone else below him. We're not having a binary decision right now. You don't have to vote for Donald Trump right now. I can see an argument for Nikki Haley, for Ron DeSantis, for Mike Pence, for, I mean, just about anybody else. I can see those arguments. But what's the argument right now? Because your anti, you know, transgender policy and the transing of the kids is Trump. According to what he's saying, you know, you're anti killing of babies and you want there to be a federal abortion ban. Because here, let's just be clear about something. If you're a Christian. You are not sufficiently pro-life if you believe in any abortion for any reason. And I'll go back to the things I've said before. There is no such thing as an abortion that is required to take place to save the life of the mother. There's not. You know, I've talked about all these different ailments. And again, if there's a tubal pregnancy, about 95% of the time, the, the baby is already in pieces in the fallopian tube. It's not alive. But we currently don't have the technology to flush that baby into the uterus so that it can implant and then grow. So you have to take out the fallopian tube to save as much life as possible. And in that moment, it is not possible to save the baby's life. Abortion is targeting the body, the living body of a baby inside the womb. Removing a dead baby from the fallopian tube is not the same thing as it's not the same thing if you miscarry and have to get a procedure to get the baby out of you so that you don't get an infection, right? I'm kind of getting off into the weeds a little bit on that subject, but it goes back to the point. Again, the reminder to you guys, that are going to be going to the Republican polls here soon. You don't have a binary choice. Vote for the person that you think is going to best represent Republican values. Vote for the person that you think is going to represent conservative values. And some of the things that Trump is saying, again, he's not proven to me or anybody else. How is he going to unsteal the election? Oh, the 2020 election was stolen. Okay. How are you going to unsteal in 2024? Oh, well, you know, this and that, and wrong to sanctimonious and blah, blah. I'm, I'm, sir? Can you please explain to me how it's going to be different this time around? Because they're going to get four more years to get better at stealing the election, supposedly. So how are you going to adjust your approach? 
Because if the approach is, I'm just going to talk about 2020 and how I was robbed and how I was this and that, and how I'm being maligned in the media and, and all these, you know, fictitious judicial rulings that are coming my way, that's fine. How are you going to be a better president for the United States than Joe Biden? Because if you're not focused on that, then you're not going to win. It's not going to win. It's not going to go well for you. If you're the point, Mr. President, former president, Donald Trump, if you're the point, you will lose. So to all the voters out there, keep that in mind. All right. Next quick hitter here. The police involved shooting death of Takaya Young. So this is according to the AP. Ohio authorities on September the 8th released additional body cam and surveillance footage of the events leading up to the death of Takaya Young, a 21-year-old pregnant black mother fatally shot by police in a grocery store parking lot late last month. Young, who was suspected of shoplifting, was killed by a Blinden Township police officer who fired a single bullet into her windshield after she refused to leave her car and it started rolling toward him. I like that. That's kind of cute. They say, and it started rolling toward him. The car doesn't have a mind of its own, people. But let's go back to the story. Her unborn daughter, due in November, did not survive. Young's family members held a funeral for her on Thursday. They have called for the officer, whose name has not been released, to be fired and charged in her death. Earlier this week, police released body cam footage showing the officer firing the gun. After viewing the footage, the family released a statement calling the officer's actions a gross misuse of power and authority, especially given that Young had been accused of a relatively minor crime. The additional security footage made public on Friday shows Young and two other women walking around the liquor department of a Columbus area store. Young can be seen putting multiple bottles of alcohol into her purse and tote bag while out of sight of the cash register. She and the two other women then leave without paying. So a lot has been made about this. Black Lives Matter. They love it. Every time a black person is killed by a white police officer, they think it's the best. Obviously, if you were to flip these people's races. And if it was a white pregnant woman and a black cop and they were shot, we would have never even heard about this. So we already know all that. It kind of, you know, is ridiculous to keep pointing it out. This fits a media narrative. It fits the Marxist BLM narrative. So they're going to try to make it the biggest thing possible. Now, other people are throwing out these things about, oh, you know, this is another unarmed black person killed by police. Did y'all know that when a person tries to use their car to hurt a police officer, that that is counted as an unarmed person? Because I'm going to go out on a limb here. Everyone knows that a gun is a weapon. Firearms a weapon. Everyone knows that a knife is a weapon. That a brick is a weapon. But all of a sudden when somebody's in a multi-thousand pound vehicle, that's not a weapon. Did y'all know that about the police stats? Right? A lot of these unarmed black people that are killed are trying to run over cops when they're shot and killed. Did y'all know that? So the thing about this you know, situation, and there's a big question that comes up, is for these families that always come out, they come out of the woodwork after, you know, one of these people is killed in these police situations. And they're always, you know, wailing on television and, oh, they're at the funeral and, oh, we need justice and all that. To the families of those supposed victims, where were you for the rest of these people's lives? Like, go back to St. George Floyd. Where was his family his entire life while he was a drug-addicted derelict who was abusing and, and harming women, right? when he was robbing people at gunpoint, when he took enough fentanyl to kill a horse, which is why he died that day, three times the lethal human limit or lethal human amount of fentanyl was in his system. When he died, he overdosed. He wasn't killed by a a knee across the back of his neck. But to these families, where were you? Where were you in Takaya Young's life to where she felt like as a pregnant woman, six months pregnant, that she could walk into a store and steal? Was that alcohol for her? I mean, because even if it wasn't, like, she's in the process of committing a crime while pregnant, okay? 
which leads me to the big takeaway on this one. The main person that is responsible for the death of Takaya Young and her unborn baby is Takaya Young. Period. You can make an argument that a police officer should have never been standing in the front of her car. That is violative of a lot of police protocol. Like, don't put yourself in the front of a, of a vehicle that could end up moving. I get it. Okay? But Takaya Young chose to steal that day, which caused the police to be called. And then she got into a car, and when the police confronted her, she chose to stay in the car. She chose to put the car in drive, because the car does not have a mind of its own, and she chose to take her foot off of the brake. Takaya Young did, not this police officer. And in that moment, that police officer is well within his rights to try to protect his own life. He can't take into account, oh, well, this is just a young gal, or maybe she didn't have a lot of opportunities in her life, and oh, she's pregnant at this exact moment. No, this is just a kind of a small crime in that exact moment. That police officer's life is in danger, and him pulling his police-issued sidearm and pointing it at the windshield, telling her to stop, telling her to stop, telling her to stop, telling her to stop, and she doesn't stop, he's well within his rights to try to shoot, and to shoot, and he did. What is the other argument? What is the counter argument to that? At what point are we going to make the people responsible for their own actions? Because if, if this could have been any race, any color, any gender, any sexual orientation, if a cop tells you to do something, comply. And if the cop is wrong, you can fight it in court later. But you think that, and again, she's a downstream consequence of this idea that BLM has put out there and the mainstream media has put out there that if you're black, you're being hunted down by racist white cops, which isn't true in any way, shape or form. But she's maybe thinking in that moment, I got to get out of here because these men are going to pull me out and try to kill me. I mean, we can't know what was in her brain. We're kind of we're working in a parallel universe right now. But again, these are all downstream consequences of this horrific satanic ideology that police officers are out hunting people because of the level of melanin in their skin. But in that situation, this officer is not responsible. He should get no punishment whatsoever for this. Takaya Young is responsible for her death and the death of her baby. It's a horrible situation, but that's the truth. All right, next quick hitter here. A successful womb transplant in the UK. So this is according to, the, to Sky News. The first ever womb transplant in the UK has been hailed as the dawn of a new era in fertility treatment. A 40-year-old woman who already had two children decided to help her 34-year-old sister who had been born without a uterus. Now, six months on, the recipient is having periods and is preparing to eventually have her own embryos implanted already created via, or already created via IVF with her own eggs. So this story, guys, to be honest, is equal parts awesome and awful. Okay, so this is why. The exact type of medical procedure that is giving a younger woman a chance to have a baby of her own will 100% be used in the near future as a grotesque display of showing how, quote unquote, men can get pregnant. This is 100% going to happen. People have been talking about this for a long time. How long until we can transfer a womb into the body of a man and we can just shove a baby in there and then, you know, do a whole bunch of other random stuff, which is to the detriment of that baby's health. But we can say that, oh, yeah, men can get pregnant. You've been saying all this time that men can't get pregnant and we just proved to you that they can with a bunch of medical interventions, right? It's kind of like if I were to put horns, like get, you know, implants onto my head and say, hey, you know, humans can grow horns and use them. It's like, no, it was put there unnaturally. But my big takeaway on this one is the biggest driver behind even attempting a procedure like this 
has nothing to do with spreading, you know, the joy of bringing new life into this world and everything uh, that goes along with that. But it has everything to do with creating new ways for hospitals and surgery centers to make money. That's what this is about. This is capitalism, right? Which I'm all, all for capitalism, but let's not pretend like this uh, hospital that they're just moral altruistic actors, because you know what the cost of this transplant is? It was 25,000 pounds. That's about $31,000 U.S. If hospitals can like streamline that, don't you think they're going to want to do that a whole lot? And of course, as with these things, you know, it'll happen in a different country and then it'll happen here and then it'll happen with adults here and then it'll eventually happen for kids. Because again, it wasn't children that were having their healthy breasts removed or their penises chopped off or any of those types of things. It happened with adults first, and then it gets transferred to the children. And we do that so that we can hide behind the children and say, why do you hate the children? Why do you want this kid to hurt themselves? Why do you want them to try and commit suicide? Why do you hate these people? Just let them cut off their genitals. What's wrong with you? It's literally, it's a bizarro world. It's opposite day, right? But that's what's going to happen. Like within 10 years, guys, We are going to see people advocating for wombs, either transplanted or artificial wombs, to be placed in the bodies of young males. It's going to happen. Again, sometimes I say stuff like this and you're like, oh man, Kyle, come on. Like, are they really going to start normalizing pedophilia? And then a year goes by and it's like, yeah, yeah, I was right. This is exactly where this ideology goes. This is not a shocking revelation. So buckle up for that. Next quick hitter here, a British nurse being found guilty of murdering seven babies in her care. So this is according to CNN. This is a story from back in August. A British nurse has been found guilty of murdering seven babies and attempting to kill six others at the hospital where she worked, making her the country's worst baby serial killer in recent times. Lucy Letby, 33, harmed babies in her care by injecting air into their blood and stomachs, overfeeding them with milk, physically assaulting them, and poisoning them with insulin. Police found a trove of handwritten notes while searching Letby's house during the investigation, including one that read, quote, I am evil. I did this, unquote. She secretly attacked 13 babies on the neonatal ward at the countless or at the Countess of Chester Hospital between 2015 and 2016. Britain's Crown Prosecution Service said in a statement. So this is obviously an unbelievable, hor- a horrific case. She's a neonatal nurse. She's taking care of newborns. And she would wait until her coworkers and the parents were not there, and she would literally try and kill these babies. So she killed seven, could have killed six more, could have killed way more, but she just attempted to kill 13 and was successful seven times. But here's my big takeaway on this one. It is really hard for me to take the international outrage on this story seriously from people that are pro-abortion. Because geographically, that baby is the same outside the womb as it would have been inside the mother. Because we can assume that at least one of these babies that this demon killed was not born at 40 or 41 weeks. They were probably born a few weeks early. Both of my sons were born a few weeks early. And so geographically, they're located inside the mother's womb, which pro-abortion people would claim and say, like the Democratic Party platform says, that that baby should be able to be killed by the mother for any reason at any point, and paid for by taxpayer dollars. The UK is incredibly pro-abortion. Incredibly pro-abortion. So why the outrage? Again, there's this disconnect in our brain where we think the vaginal canal somehow confers personhood. 
So it's like, oh yeah, you know, you're inside the vaginal canal and then you come out of the vaginal canal and that causes you to become a human being worth something and worth our protection, having moral value. It's a completely morally bankrupt, bankrupt worldview. But again, this is a horrific story and we know why. Because we know newborn babies are innocent and they are helpless. So they require protection. Please explain to me how that's different when they're located just inside the womb. All right, next quick, hitter, next quick hitter here, the deadly floods in Libya. So this is according to the AP. The warnings were clear but went unheeded. Experts had long said that floods posed a significant danger to two dams meant to protect nearly 90,000 people in the northeast of Libya. They repeatedly called for immediate maintenance to the two structures located just uphill from the coastal city of Derna. But successive governments in the chaos-stricken North African nation did not react. The warnings came true in the early hours of September the 11th when residents of Derna woke up to loud explosions before flood water pounded the Mediterranean city. They found that two dams had broken, unleashing a wall of water two stories high that wreaked destruction and swept entire neighborhoods out to sea. The death toll has been varied, with different government officials and aid agencies giving different tallies. Libya's Red Crescent said that at least 11,300 people had been killed and an additional 10,000 are missing. So it's so horrific. A lot of bad stories on, on today's quick hitters, but that's what we cover here on the show. It's so bad that this was preventable, that they could have, you know, taken aid money that they give from countries like the United States and solidified these dams and chose not to do it. Um, I've heard, you know, Jordan Peterson point this out and he's right. They're the only countries in the world where people starve to death are those with corrupt governments. You know, those that choose to line their pockets and do nothing for their populaces. So that was one of the other big, horrible things that happened in Afghanistan when we pulled out, when the Taliban took back over the country. They're not using aid money or any other unfrozen funds to make sure that everybody in the country gets a good education and a full belly. They're, they're, they're lining their pockets. And a lot of them were lining their pockets. And even the government officials were lining their pockets while America, you know, was in there in the country. So, you know, go figure on that. But my big takeaway on this one is even with the rot of culture that we're living in currently in the United States, all of us alive right now will likely never have to experience something like this in America. And I know saying that in light of what happened in Hawaii might, you know, seem a bit unsensitive. That's certainly not my message. But again, you have people living in structures that are being protected by dams that are not being upkept. And when are you going to see something happen in the U.S. where potentially 20,000 people are going to die? When we see these, um, these horrible tragedies where there's like a tsunami and it takes out tens of thousands of people different places around the world, that would never happen in the U.S. under our current culture because we have building standards and building codes, which I know can be laborious for people that are building and having to deal with all that. But we're building structures that can withstand, you know, uh, high winds and, and some flooding and different things like that. And so I guess I'm saying be thankful. You know, be thankful here in the United States that you're not going to have to deal with that, really. That doesn't mean don't prepare. Obviously, we have a tornado shelter here in my house. People that live in hurricane areas got to prepare for those things and be smart and be weather aware. But we're probably not going to ever have to deal with something like that. So we should be thankful. But be praying for the people of Libya. Just a, a horrible, horrible tragedy. All right, a couple more here. The injury that ended, actually, this is the last one. So the injury that ended the season of the modern-day Babe Ruth, Shohei Otani. Okay, so this is according to CBS News. Shohei Otani's 2023 season is over. 
The Los Angeles Angels announced Saturday that Otani has been placed on the 10-day injured list with an oblique injury, and the two-way star will not play again this year. GM Perry Manasian, sorry, told reporters, uh, including ESPN, Otani will have a procedure on his elbow soon, and he will remain with the Angels through the end of the regular season. Otani has a torn ligament in his right pitching elbow, and Tommy John surgery is the usual treatment for torn elbow ligaments, but not always. Alternative procedures are available for certain tears. So, if you don't know who Shohei Otani is, let's back up to that and then get back into the story. So, Shohei Otani is literally a unicorn because he is one of the best hitters in baseball right now, and he's also one of the best pitchers in baseball right now. So I would go through through his numbers and things like that, but just, just take my word for it. So he literally is worth a quarter of a billion dollars as an offensive player, as a DH. That's how good he is. He's also worth that as a pitcher because he's like literally like a top five, top 10 pitcher at any point. But he's had some injury problems. Early in his career, coming over to the United States, he had to get Tommy John surgery because he blew out his pitching elbow because he throws high 90s, you know, has a lot of torque on the elbow, and now he's hurt that again. Now, Tommy John surgery is something that most pitchers get at some point or in their career, and so it's not always that big of a deal, but a second Tommy John, now we're looking at some, some big problems. And so he is legitimately has a chance to be the single greatest player in Major League Baseball history. But the only thing that would keep him from doing that would be not having the longevity because he started his career in Japan. So he has some wear and tear from Japan. And now coming over here, it's hard for him to kind of have an entire season where he's healthy. And even missing the last month of the season, he's still going to be the runaway MVP. He's one of the most incredible things that we've ever seen in sports. The fact that he doesn't speak English is one of the big things that hurts him because he should be front page news and should have been all summer. But he plays for the Angels. The Angels are horrendous. They're always horrendous. They play games on the West Coast. They're never playing in important games. They never play in the playoffs. They never play in the World Series. And he doesn't speak good English. So it kind of leads to people not really caring about Shohei Otani. But this injury might cost him hundreds of millions of dollars. Because people, I think the largest uh, contract ever uh, signed was his teammate, Mike Trout. He signed for 400-something million dollars. Excuse me. 400 some million dollars, uh, which goes, you know, obviously he's the, he was the best player at the time. You know, he gets this crazy deal. You know, that's fantastic. But they were wondering if Otani would get 500 million, 600 million, 700 million. I saw some estimates because again, he's a Cy Young caliber pitcher and an MVP caliber offensive player. That's just who he is. And so you put both of those guys into one roster spot. That's worth a lot of money. The thing is, is I was really looking forward to whoever he would end up signing with. So you're, you think it's probably going to be the Dodgers or maybe the Angels again, or maybe it's going to be the Yankees, or maybe it's going to be the, the San Diego Padres, or he wants to stay on the West Coast, so maybe even the Seattle Mariners would be a potential landing spot. But now that's probably not going to happen. And so part of me is just like, I wanted to see that number come across the ticker on ESPN that he signed, you know, a 12-year, you know, $750 million contract or something. But the injury is, is going to definitely uh, dampen that and dampen those chances. And that's just kind of the, where we are now. But I'm going to go to my big, t- big takeaway here. So if you're not a baseball guy, you're not going to care. But who cares? I love baseball. The Los Angeles Angels should go down in history as the worst franchise in modern MLB history because they have absolutely wasted the primes of two of the greatest baseball players ever, Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. So Mike Trout came to the majors in 2012, and I think the Angels made the playoffs once, and I think it was 2013, 
and they lost all three games to the Royals. Okay. So Mike Trout was the best player in baseball for a full decade, for a full decade, got to play in three playoff games and they got smashed. Never made the playoffs another time. So obviously for the entire time, Otani has been on the Angels, hasn't played in any playoff games. It is egregious and almost criminal. Now the Angels did win a World Series. I think it was 2001 or 2002. So they've got a World Series in modern history. But to have the level of talent that they've had and to do so little with it, and every year they have the same need. Yep, we need pitching and we need bullpen. So what do they do? They sign the best position player to a nine-figure deal, right? And that nine-figure deal almost never works out. It almost never works out for, for anybody. It kind of has a better chance of working out for pitchers, but it almost never works out for anybody. So if you're a baseball fan, this has got to be frustrating. I absolutely get it. But that's it, and that's all for the show for today. Before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So just a reminder, go to getsecurity.tech, getsecurity.tech to get your free IT and data security assessment from LMS Tech. Let them help you with network installation, server setup, cloud data storage, you know, email security, antivirus, tech compliance, all that kind of stuff. And remember, go to the Origin website, that's OriginMain or OriginUSA.com to check out the full line of Origin and Jocko Fuel products. Use Undaunted, that's the code to get 10% off your order. In the show notes, I've got the donation page for our website. Again, if you want to enter into that knife raffle, you have to do at least $25. Every $25 increment gets you another spot in the raffle. Make sure you put the word knife in the description in the comment section so we know that it's you and we know that's what you want to give your money towards. And then also we've got all the links for the quick hitter segment as well. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also, we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song, Perpetua, which is off their self-titled debut album on Face Down Records. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. <laughs>